Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. O'Neal the rebound. Kevin Alley brings it up. Throws it across. Miller for three. Oh, he backed it in. He backed it in. And the game is tied. We're going to overtime. Over the rebound for his ninth. 18 points, 9 rebounds, 6 oh. assists for Jay! Oh, oh the chicken! Double time! Miles Turner! Yeah! Welcome to the NBA, my friend! Turner sets the screen. Oh, Whoa! Deep oh, no! Oh, oh, no! Right Don't let him throw it down like that! Victor Oladipo! Throws it back to Oladipo. Stevenson behind, drives inside! And the foul! Lance Stevenson! And a chance for a three-point play. He just headbutted the Stanton. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Born Ready to Pod podcast. Welcome back, listeners, to the 12th episode of Born Ready to Pod. Hashtag Born Ready to Pod. I am your host, Chris Cook, sitting next to me as always, Eric Hawk, Jake Light. Guys, what's going on? Um, Nothing. I mean, we're podcasting, that's about it. What's going on with you, Jake? Uh, just big things on the horizon for us. Um, just got here, so I missed the Eddie Gill interview, so I'm eager to see what you guys talked about. Yep, so as he just mentioned, Eddie Gill, former Pacers point guard, signed with them back in the summer of 2004, uh, played with them for two seasons, uh, 04, 05, and 05, 06. Uh, he was... Uh, typically, he was a backup point guard, played uh, third string point guard. But during that season, uh, the 0405 season, we all know that's when the brawl had happened. So Eddie got a lot more playing time than he probably expected going into the season from that. So uh, you guys were, you know, same age as me pretty much during those times. What are some things that you guys specifically remember from those early 2000s Pacers teams, specifically the brawl team and uh, the team after that? Those teams are just tough. I mean. From start to finish of a game, it would be a tough game with any team they played. Physical, I mean, they honestly were like almost like a 90s team in the early 2000s. They, they were fun to watch just because of the physicality in Indiana basketball. I mean, I think the fans liked them up until the brawl. I think it kind of ruined some relations with the team Yeah. over the years. But, I don't know, they were fun to watch. Reggie was still there, still shooting. I mean, you had Foster. I mean, you just had some legends in the Pacers. Those games were definitely fun to watch. Yeah, Jermaine O'Neal, I remember vividly that little 15-footer he used to have. He could, I mean, he could pull up and he could fall away. Um, our test uh, slash Metal World Peace, he was huge. Uh, Steven Action Jackson, maybe he could. I mean, it was just a fun team to watch. I mean, straight up, it was just a fun team. Uh, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Tinsley. Yep. He was he was the guy running the show. Um, obviously, Reggie was still there, so it was pretty awesome. Um, and I was actually at the game after the Mouse of the Palace. And we talked about that with and, Eddie. And it was pretty awesome. Uh, it wasn't awesome because of you know the situation, but it was awesome watching them. I remember vividly my grandpa brought me to the game, and all of a sudden you see like seven Pacers like run out to warm up while the other team has their full their full fledged twelve guys. Um, it might even have been six. Now that I think it was about. six. It was six. And it was just, it, it was crazy to watch them even warm up. Like, the layup lines were off. It was like three and three. It was like trying to warm up for a YMCA game. And uh, just a lot of very fond memories. I remember thinking, oh, Reggie's going to go off in that game. But he didn't play. He didn't play. He, he was had, injured he, the I, game before. He didn't yeah, play well, and he had a one-game suspension for leaving the bench area, I believe. Yeah, I think that you're right. And so it was just a great experience. That was a really fun team. I wish we wouldn't have had to blow, you know, blow it up, but obviously, like Hawk said, relationships with the team just went downhill after that. Did you guys have the Jermaine O'Neal shoes? Absolutely. Very the Got white, for at the least. white ones? Uh, the white ones with the yellow or just the gold with the, the white. I yeah. mean, strong shoe all around. For at least three or four years straight, I bought the J.O. shoes. Right. Um, they need to remake those. Those would be something nice to have. To... We got a. We got Chris and I once got a pair of Jo shoes handed to us by Jo Black and signed. signed. 
game worn. It's pretty awesome. Might be giving it away if I could ever find it. My pile of stuff. I'm not there. giving mine away. Sorry. Well, we'll see how it goes here. Um, so a little bit more about that year too as well. That was Reggie's final season, kind of as we just you know we're talking about that team actually and we kind of talked with uh, about it with eddie a little bit was uh the magic game kind of being you know a way to pacers fans of you know making the season we all thought it was going to be a lost cause after that and i think that that game specifically gave pacers fans hope and the pacers actually ended up making the playoffs i think they were the sixth seed they uh played the celtics beat them in a seven game series in round one and then eventually lost to the pistons in round two so uh, Reggie's final season. It was sad to see him go out like that, but uh, you know, I think that I think that that game and then the way that team played the rest of the year, I think that uh, you know they gave something for Pacers fans to be proud of after what happened. And I saw a stat today: since 1990, the Pacers have made the playoffs 23 years, second only to the Spurs. I think they're at 24 or 25. I mean, that's pretty impressive for an organization that doesn't get much credit from a national media scale. I think. 23 times out of what, like 28 possibilities? That's yeah. very impressive. Is it yeah. easier for a smaller market team to be consistently good? And that sounds weird because you're not going to get those star players, but it's almost like those big teams like the Knicks, um, you know, even the Lakers, it's like they're either really, really bad or really, really good because they're trying to suck so bad because they know they need a star in that city. Is it easier to run an organization and get to the playoffs in a smaller market? Maybe. I mean, you can make that argument. I think if you look at the way Boston's build it, where they don't even need the superstars and they'll make a playoffs, I think there's different models. But if you just want to consistently get that eighth seed... Is Boston a big market, you think? Yes. Oh, yeah. You think that Boston's a huge market? Yes. Absolutely. For basketball? Really? I'd say How not for biggest. basketball? Okay, okay. Uh, well, They've played in half no, the NBA Finals. Well, no, let's break it down, though. I mean, can you name me five to six places... Bigger in terms of basketball, in terms of the population? Or I'd right? say they're bigger than Miami. I mean, other than like what Miami's done recently and historically, the location, historically I mean, Boston historically, they're Miami the most, the you know, NBA franchise wise. I mean, I'd put them in LA, the Lakers. I think are one and two, and Chicago three. I they mean, have what, 16, 17 titles? The Knicks have never won anything. So I, I Dallas, any Houston, credit. those are big markets. They're big markets, but they oh, don't they're have over the them historic impact and sure. like, you know, the history. I think. Market-wise, those games are almost always sold out in Boston. They're always crazy. The fan base is insane. See, I think they They're just addicted to winning with all of their teams. Like, I would definitely say they're like a top three market. No, and no. the coverage. I mean, all the sports media coverage comes out of Boston. It's I think I think that'd be something interesting to look at. I, I don't think that they are a top three market. But again, this is just shooting from the hip. I don't know. Uh, that's a good point. I mean, they're right there. It's not like even if I if say it's not they're that not, they're not a top three market. I mean, look at the success Boston has had as a city: Patriots, Red Sox, Celtics. That's what puts them above everybody else. Not necessarily population or you know like being like Los Angeles. Success in. Boston has made them what they are. Okay, so my arguments to that would be so the Spurs aren't a small small market team because they've had success in the NBA. I don't. I mean, yeah, I don't ever view the Spurs as a small market team, even though they really are. Well, then, yeah. Again, I'm not saying that the freaking Boston Celtics are like some small market. I think we're kind of getting off topic here. I like it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm digressing a little bit. No, no, it's not getting heated. Let's get heated. But. I, I don't know. I just think it's interesting. I think that question of, you know, is it easier to run a smaller market team into a perennial playoff caliber squad? I think it is easier because you see more small market teams do that than you do the, the larger markets. The Spurs, Pacers. Yeah. Um, well, let's teams. let's get back to Pacers here. Uh, we're going to we're going to go We're going to go and dive right into our interview with former Pacers point guard Eddie Gill. I hope you guys enjoy it. I'm going to punch Chris. All right, as previously mentioned, we've got a very special guest today on the podcast. Uh, we have former Pacers point guard and current TV analyst for the Pacers on Fox Sports Indiana. Today we have with us Eddie Gill. Eddie, thanks for joining us. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. It's, it's a pleasure to be on. Uh, so uh, diving right into it, uh, coming out of college back in 2000, you entered into the NBA draft and uh, you proceeded to go undrafted. So can you kind of explain a little bit about what that journey like was or what that journey was like for you uh, going undrafted and finally getting your chance in the NBA? Yeah, I mean, uh, it was a great pleasure and obviously a long time coming in terms of once I was able to get in and, and you know, missing the draft. and um, You know, a lot of work going into that 
that one year uh, when you're talking about you know conference tournament, college conference tournaments, you know, pre-draft camps, and uh, you know the mock drafts. Those things were the were the death of me because my names were all through the mock draft. And uh, you know to come up on draft night was disappointing, but um, was able to persevere and get through it. And um, you know really a great moment when I was able to get floor. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you signed a contract with the Pacers in the summer of 2004 and became a free agent several other times. So what does the free agency period to consist of? Is your agent making calls to gather interest, or is it more of a weighted-out approach? How do you go about that? Uh, it's, a, it's a compilation of all of it. Um, yeah. and, and the hard thing, hard thing to do as a player is um, stay focused on what you can control because uh, you can't really consider you can't control different transactions, trades, um, you know, other free agency uh, signings or, or releases. So those and those things all impact whether you may have a, a genuine opportunity somewhere. Um, you know, unless you're one of those top tier guys who can kind of pick their pick their own their own ride. Um, you know, you just kind of wait and see. So um, I was I was fortunate enough to, to, to be with a good agent, and um, I always trusted him with that process, and uh, just made sure I was ready and, and in shape and, and, and at my play when uh when my opportunity was called what were your expectations for the 0405 pacers team i mean it's huge expectations that team had uh recently been in the finals uh easter conference finals um you know we had in, in my opinion probably the best power forward in the game and jermaine o'neal at that time mm-hmm. um maybe the best small forward in the game and then ron artest at that time uh reggie miller was still a heavy contributor for us um I mean, across the board, you had guys who were talented um, throughout that entire team. Um, mixed with guys who just got after it, too. You know? So I, I thought that uh, the expectations were, were really high going into that season, and, uh, and we definitely started out tracking towards a successful year. Yeah, so kind of speaking of that first season of yours in Indiana, uh, that team, like you just mentioned, had high expectations. Uh, and as we all know what went down that year, we won't get into that, uh, the details of that. Everybody knows what happened. Um, but a big moment for most Pacers fans, and for me specifically, um, was the game afterwards, after the brawl had happened. Uh, you guys had a home game against the Orlando Magic. And, uh, you know, with the suspensions that had happened uh, and then the injuries as well, you guys started off the year with some injuries and then had that continuously going on. Uh, you guys were down to six guys uh, to go going into that game literally 24 hours after the brawl had happened. So can you kind of take us through what that was like, you know, the hours leading into that game, how that, how the team, like in the locker room, how that was like. Uh, just give us a little bit of details going into that game, what the, you know, the mindset was for you guys. Yeah, I mean, we were, you know, our, our minds were blown from what had happened the previous night, obviously. Um, we had really, you know, shot for all the sports world, I would say, with what happened uh, up in Detroit the night before. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but man, we just tried to, you know, you know, really just embrace the moment in terms of um, just rallying around each other. You know, we had limited guys that were able to play. Um, you know, a lot of guys played, the, or there were a couple guys played all 48. I was one of those. Um the, the arena was, was packed to the ceiling. The, the fan support was phenomenal that night. And uh, we just, you know, said, hey, man, this is, this is what we have. Um, no one's going to feel sorry for us. I know we played Orlando Magic, I believe it was that night. Yes. Um, you know, they're, they're coming in to get a win against six guys so, and, and going about their business. And we wanted to, to, you know, change that, obviously. So it was just a, a moment for us to just rally around each other and support each other as, as much as we can. And, um, you know, just play our hearts out that night. You guys played hard that night for sure. And certainly gave depressed Pacers fans hope coming off the adversity. What do you think was the main reason behind a group of six guys who normally didn't get huge minutes to come together and almost pull off a big win? Yeah. I mean, it's just an opportunity, uh, you know, back yeah. to against the wall type of deal and, and everybody's counting you out, you know, not, uh, you know, not great chances to win that game. Just, by virtue of, of what a, a game entails and how difficult it is to win a game, even when you got a, a full roster, but let alone with, with six guys um, in the NBA, it's not it's not something that's in, in your favor. But uh, we wanted to go out there and, and, and prove everybody wrong. So we you know we went out there and played hard, you know, hard as we possibly could. Played well. Yeah, uh, it was definitely definitely a competitive game. It, um, we let it slip away at the end. But uh, it definitely wasn't for lack of record. Yeah, and I think the big thing, too, with that game as well is, I mean, obviously I'm a huge Pacers fan, have been my whole life, and 14 years later it still sticks in my mind as, 
you know, you guys ended up that season getting the sixth sixth seed. So I think that game kind of was, you know, a way to show Pacers fans after what just happened that, you know, there's still at least some hope to this season. It's not a lost cause. And I think uh, the you six guys, you came out there, played hard, and absolutely I felt like it was a turning point from, you know, obviously what just had happened the night before. So um, as you had just mentioned, you, you played 48 minutes that night. Um, so for most NBA players, you know, obviously you're not expecting, even LeBron James isn't expecting to play 48 minutes in a regular season game. Um, so what kind of was – you what what did you do beforehand you know mentally just to get yourself prepared you know you, obviously you keep yourself in shape you're ready to go there uh as a backup point guard you're ready to go at any time your number is called but going into that game i'm sure you expected to play 48 minutes but how did you pre- prepare yourself mentally before that to get yourself ready well uh, um man i was just excited for a the opportunity even despite the circumstance yeah. i was uh excited for the opportunity and I think one other thing that prepared me is uh even th- you know throughout my college career uh, I was a guy who played heavy minutes uh, you know college is a 40 minute game and my senior year I believe I averaged like 37 38 minutes a game so um so playing a lot of minutes wasn't you know a, a, that big a deal for me um it was just more mentally just thinking about okay what, what do I need to do to lead the team at the point guard position uh both offensively and defensively is what I think was a uh, the, the most uh, mental preparation I was doing is just what I needed to do tangibly on the floor to lead us and, and, and help us uh, try to come out with a victory. And the conditioning part of it never really yeah. was a factor was a factor for me. I, I wasn't uh, concerned with that at all. Yeah, absolutely. Reggie Miller was quoted saying it was the best Pacers game he had ever seen. Reggie has played in and seen plenty of great basketball games, so how does that make you feel hearing that from him about your performance? I mean, you're talking about arguably the best uh, Pacers player in, the, in you know in the history of the of the franchise, and you know his work speaks for itself. And I and I was able to watch him and, and see what type of competitor he was and the type of preparation he put into the game. So to have a guy like that speak so highly about a game uh, that I was able to participate in and contribute in, um, you know, just just honored and humbled by it. Yeah, and I kind of wanted to go back to that night just for a quick second, the night before. You were on the court when the brawl happened, when it all started, when it all went down. Mm. Were were you surprised the way Ben Wallace reacted initially? And, it, and did you ever think that anything was going to come after that? Like, what was your uh, thought process right after the foul or test on Ben Wallace? Yeah, um, not not so surprised with with his reaction. Um, I, I know he's a guy who who plays hard. He gets after it, and um, you know he, he was upset about the hard foul. I guess he thought that he was just supposed to get an easy dunk because it was. Yeah. Uh, you know, the game was all, all but decided. So, you know, and, and then again, he, they're frustrated. That team was a really good team. Oh, yeah. Um, we're, we're, on their, we're on their home floor. So, yeah, I get it. It's his frustrations. Uh, got the best of them there. But I and never in, in my wildest dreams could have imagined that thing, um, you know, progressing to what it turned into. We're yeah. going to put you on the spot here, Eddie, 14 years later or 14, 13 years later, whatever it is. Would you guys have won the title that season had the brawl not happened? Man, I mean, I, I, you know, obviously health is always a question, but we stay healthy. I don't see why not. Absolutely, uh, yeah. That, that, I mean, we were, I think at the time, 9-1, 10-1 or something, and we were, you know, blowing through, the, you know, that, that first part of the schedule and, and yeah. you know, playing some good teams. And I, like I said, they, they, they were one of the best teams in the league at that time. We're on their home floor, and I think we're up 18, 19 points at the time. Um, so yeah, I mean, obviously health is always a question, but barring any injuries, I, I think no question we're right there to compete for one. Uh, so Ron Artest has always been, he's been one of my favorite players. I know he's, everybody knows he's, you know, a bit crazy. Um, but what is it like being his teammate in the locker room? What kind of guy is Ron in there? I know he, he I mean, he'll do anything to win games. Uh, what was it like being his, his teammate? Ron was was a was a good teammate. Um, like I'm I'm the type of person and the type of guy when I played out there. I, I always thought that you need a little bit of crazy on your team to be successful. Yeah. Um, you know, you, that's just I mean that's just part of it. Um, you know, obviously to, there's to a point. You know, there's always to a point where you you want you don't want to go um, you know too far 
in certain instances. But man, you gotta you gotta be a guy who's gonna be able to get out there, and get after it, and have zero fear of the opponent. And you know, wants to crush every opponent he sees, and you know, not backing down from anybody. And that Ron was that guy. Yeah. Um, in, in addition to the to the talent level he had, um, you know, he had all those other intangibles. Um, so. Yeah, give me give me Ron any day of the week. Yeah, absolutely. Is there any story you can think out that sticks out? Because I mean, he's an enigma. He's an interesting guy. People flocked around our test. Even he, him tweeting that the Pacers were going to be in the Eastern Conference Finals this week. I mean, it got some media attention. So, do you have any stories of Ron Artest that are interesting, funny, just practice stories, anything like that? Um, yeah, well, I, I mean, there's there's multiple, but I guess the, they all revolve around. On any given day, coming into practice, you never knew what Ron was going to do or say. <laughs> so, yeah. so it was. It was always uh, there was never a dull moment. And, uh, and and having said that, it wasn't like he was putting people in harm's way or he, you know doing something that was so detrimental to the team. But there was going to be something entertaining that happened. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So you played for several different NBA teams during your career, but also played internationally as well. What were some of the main differences between the international game and the National Basketball Association? Uh, the, the first one is just the, the, the talent level is far superior in the NBA. Yeah. Um, you know, the athleticism is far superior. Guys are bigger, stronger, faster. So, so those things um, are one of the, you know, something that jumps out pretty quickly. Um, and then, uh, not to mention, then the rules of the game, you know, so they're, you're yeah. able to play zone over there. The, the key is a little bit different. The, the three-pointer is closer, um, so so some of those things. But you know, and the style of the play is, is a is a little bit uh a, is a little bit different. Um, you know, everybody on the floor can shoot the ball at a high level. I uh, will say that, and and they're you know skilled players, and and some of their game that I think that the NBA was missing it, it has has transferred definitely oh, yeah. in terms of the the big guys being able to handle the ball, be facilitators, step out, shoot the ball. Um, that was something that had been going on overseas for some time, and that piece of the game definitely has uh, has made it here in a big way. Now you're seeing everybody playing small ball and yeah. positionless basketball, and everybody can shoot it now. So. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so back in 2016, uh, you started doing TV analysis with the Pacers on Fox Sports. Um, so did you think during your basketball career that that was something that you would want to get into afterwards, or did it just kind of sort of play itself out? Um, it just it just kind of happened. Um, it wasn't something I necessarily pursued. They um, you know asked me about it a couple of years ago, and, and you know we we talked about it, and it was something that we just went on and moved forward. Um, I thought about it a little bit coming out of college, but never really pursued it. Um, and this this just kind of happened, and it's kind of worked out so far. I'm, I'm really enjoying it, and um, you know looking to continue it. Yep, and then we're excited about that because we think you've been doing a really great job. So, uh, what have your you. yep that. yep uh, no problem? What have your big takeaways been? Kind of you know following the team the past couple of seasons. Obviously, last year that was a big uh, you know no one had those expectations. But what were your big takeaways from that Pacers team last season? And then what are your expectations for them going into this year? Uh, the the biggest thing for sure is the culture that they created. I thought Nate McMillan and the coaching staff did a great job of. Uh, implementing and, and the culture that they did, facilitating that um, through their leaders on their team. And obviously, Victor Oladipo uh, kind of emerged as the team's leader. But um, you can't say enough about the chemistry that they had and the culture that was that was built throughout the entire season. Um, they obviously were came in with very low expectations. Now, I'll say outside of that locker room, they came in with low expectations. I'd yeah. say inside that locker room, as competitors, they, they – absolutely felt like they believed in each other and their abilities and what they're capable of doing. And they were able to go out there and prove it. Um, and I, I think they've made some nice off-season uh, acquisitions here and coming into this year. Now the, the big question is, can you replicate that same culture? Because it's uh, it's something that every single professional team and even in the, in the workforce, if you can have that type of uh, that type of culture, and even in the business world, and I don't, I don't care what your business is, um, it'll be really effective. So if they can replicate that same culture and chemistry with the additions that they have, I think Ron is on the money in terms of their their ability to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, I think he's definitely 50% right on there. I don't think there's any way that the Knicks make it to the Conference Finals this year, but I did like half of his prediction. So. You're still in Indiana. Uh, your son just graduated from Carmel, and uh, as mentioned earlier, you've played for all these different NBA teams. 
you've been to travel all over the world. Uh, what made Indiana stick out, and why why did you end up settling here? Yeah, you you mentioned it. My uh, my son is uh, just graduated. My daughter is also uh, she's there now. She's a junior at Carmel High School. But um, that was the biggest thing for us when we got here. They were four and two. Uh, they were in a great school and had uh, made friends. My wife made friends. Uh, we we love the community that we live in. Um, you know, so those things were were important to us. The, the Indianapolis had been was had been good to us. It was good to us then. Um, you know, the, everything that you that you could want in a in a small big city is here. Uh, you can get around relatively easy, and you know. So we're figuring uh, that was like the middle of my career when I was playing for the Pacers, and you know, didn't know whether I'd be here for the rest of my career or play other places. But we we felt comfortable in the fact that uh, once I decided to stop playing, that this would be a, a good place to to be and, and raise a family. Yeah, awesome. And one last question before we let you go. So as we have mentioned several times, being in multiple different NBA cities. Uh, which one was your favorite to visit and why? Um, man, that's a good question. Uh, man, I, I don't know if there's necessarily one that was a, a favorite to me because a lot of times they start looking the same in terms of a hotel room and yeah. an arena. <laughs> <laughs> um, because you're not spending a whole heck of a lot of time uh, in that in that particular city. But you know, all the big cities are always nice because you know you can get out and um, you know you endless dinner options and. Um, you know, I, I'll tell you a couple of arenas that were, were always good. Um, yeah. You know, like Oklahoma City, that yeah. small town, they support the heck out of that team. Uh, so you, you know, when you go there, they're going to be up. It's almost like a college atmosphere. Yeah. The, the way the way they're getting after it in there. Um, you know, so that that one was always a good one. Um, you know, the the Jazz Arena, they always support it. Uh, you go to New York and L.A., it's, it's more of a, a social event than it is a basketball game. Yeah. When you see all the celebrities in there, um, you know, hanging out and that kind of thing, that's always cool. And then, uh, you know, going to Miami in, Jan- in January isn't bad. So. Yeah. And, uh, okay, I, I kind of lied there. I said one last question, but I do have one more. You did play for the Sonics, right? There for a little yeah, bit? For, yeah, for a short time. Uh, Kevin Durant's rookie year, as a matter of fact. So what was that like? You know, I think – that was that was the last season there, right? It was the next year they moved to Oklahoma City. That's right. So what what was the arena like there? Do you think that you know that they deserve another NBA team here coming up in the future sometime? Uh, there's no question that that's uh, another one of the underrated cities, and I'm really shocked that they haven't been able to put one back there as of yet. Um, you know, obviously the business aspect of things come into play, and you know who knows what all goes on behind closed doors in terms of money changing hands and that type of thing and yeah. what it's going to, what it's going to take to keep a team somewhere or move them and you know, all of that. But Hey, I got to believe they're going to, they're going to get one. I would hope in the next five years or so or something because they, they, they support that team well. And you know, if you look at, you look at a Seahawks game, you see they support the heck out of that, that team. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good city. So, yeah. Um, I would definitely, hope and, and, and wish that they, they get one back there. Yeah, well, um, we appreciate you taking the time to, today, Eddie. Like uh, we had mentioned before, Eddie was a former Pacers point guard back in 2004, played with the Pacers there for two seasons, and now he is doing uh, TV analysis for the Pacers on Fox Sports. Uh, he'll, you'll catch him back on TV starting with the Pacers season in October. Eddie, we appreciate you coming on today, and good luck coming up uh, with the Pacers season th- uh, this upcoming year. Hey, thank you guys. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, best of luck with the podcast as you guys continue. Thanks, right, a, thanks lot. a lot. We'll thank see you later, Eddie. Thank you, guys. All right, well, that wraps up our interview with former Pacers point guard Eddie Gill. Thoughts on that? how that interview went? Eddie's a nice guy. He didn't. He wasn't the most talkative we had, but um, we didn't really talk about the old stuff that we talked about just like last year, upcoming year as much. So it was kind of refreshing just to hear some of his stories from the brawl and that season in general. And one thing I was just saying is I just love seeing his bald head when I'm coming down that escalator from the parking garage walking into Banker's Life, just seeing that bald head just down there to the left on, on camera talking about the Pacers. It's a beautiful sight. It's a beautiful head. Yeah, I thought one thing that I took away from the interview um, was, was the loyalty. He talked about the loyalty in the locker room, how tight guys were. And that's obviously super important, and I think we've seen that over the last two to three years. You know, the team before this year, 
the team led by that do the war number 13 they were more talented but this group just plays better together and it just shows you that the locker room chemistry does matter so that's your take after not hearing the interview and not being here for the interview. <laughs> well, to be fair, I did hear part of the interview. Um, so thanks again to Eddie for joining us. Uh, let's kind of get into some more recent Pacers news. The schedule came out. Schedule for the NBA season came out this season. We kind of talked about the holiday games last episode, uh, but we actually have the official 82 game schedule. So I don't know if you guys have done a deep look into that yet, but actually our friend, friend of the show, Scott Agnes, if you go on to VigilantSports.com, he does a breakdown for us so we don't have to do any work. He's got how many back-to-backs they have, national TV games, and all that good stuff. So if you want to see something like that, a breakdown of the schedule, make sure you go check that out on Scott Agnes's website, Vigilant Sports. But guys, uh, looking at the schedule here, obviously you play 82 games over this several-month period, so I mean, who really cares when you play, uh, but is there anything that kind of stuck out to you guys when you looked at the schedule that you were looking forward to for the season coming up? I think they have a good – they can go 10-1 and one to start the year. By my I was thinking the same thing. Pretty pretty easy schedule, I felt like, starting On the off. road in the Bucks, second game. It's going to be – they're going to be figuring it out. Like, who knows? Like, that'll be a tough one. And then they got it on the road at Minnesota, Spurs. And then, I mean, all these games seem winnable up until that Boston game, which will be – Huge game on. A I'll stop. I'll stop you right there. All right, we'll put you guys on the spot just for the first month of October. Is that in Boston? What? Yeah, no. We're not going that far though. Okay. First month, uh, so the games in October. Just quickly, don't give me any reason. Just win or loss. Opening night, <laughs> Wednesday, the seventeenth versus the Grizzlies. Win by a hundred. Win. Friday, October nineteenth, they go on the road to play Milwaukee. Win by ten. So uh, keep in your head, because I'm not tracking this, what your win-loss win. is. Win, 2-0. 2-0. Uh, Saturday, the 20th, at home versus Brooklyn. Win by 100. Win, 3-0. Go on the road next to play at Minnesota. I think that's where it gets dicey. You start a three-game road trip. I'm going to give them the win here. I go loss. I go 3-1. Uh, next up, at San Antonio. I'm going to go loss. This will be the first loss. I think they bounce back and win, so we're at the same record, 4-1. Next up, at Cleveland. Win. Win. Come on. And I actually told you guys we should go to that game. 5-1. That's one. on a Saturday. Let's Five go. 5-1. Uh, following up after that, versus Portland at home. Um, I'm going to just throw a loss in there. Yeah, actually, I'm going to go with that loss. Uh, emotional game. Uh, coming back home after that really, really tough game in Cleveland. So I think it's, they're going to be on the downward swing there. And then to round things up, October on Halloween, first national TV game of the year at the New York Knicks. W, coming out in a big way. Turner's going to drop 30 that game. Win. So what were your guys' final tallies? I believe, how many? One, two, three, I have two losses. four, five, six, seven, eight, six and two. Six and two. Six and two. So you heard it here first, Pacers fans. The Pacers will go six and two to start off the season in October. We're not going to go through all 82 games just because that would be tiring to hear you guys say win and loss. 82 times a piece. <laughs> I'll so, do it if you want to. So uh, let's look here. So another thing from uh, Mr. Agnes is Mr. Agnes there. Another thing from his breakdown was 14 back-to-backs this year. Uh, that's the same amount as last year, so the league has gone uh, down on back-to-backs. that used to be around 17, so now they only have 14. These guys are getting a lot more rest than they used to. Uh, national TV games went up to 12 this year. I believe they only had one last season, and that was Paul George's return to Indy. So what do you guys think about that 12 games this year coming up on national TV? Yeah, I think that's obviously a major bump. You said 1, 1 to 12. I mean, that's pretty awesome. I'd still be interested to see, um, you know, some of the other numbers around the league, which I haven't, you know, I think there's a website I, I you know, started as something I would like to look at, how many uh, nationally broadcast games each team gets. But teams like the Knicks, and I get why they're getting those those bigger games, but it's almost like I want to, I want to watch good basketball. Like, I think those are the teams that should be playing. Obviously, the NBA did not think – the Pacers were going to be good last year. Obviously, they think they're going to be at least solid this year. So I'm happy with it. I think we could get easily closer to that uh, 18, maybe even 19 range next year if we continue to grow. I think 12 is pretty fair. Oh, yeah. We just looked at the the break here. We, we saw that the Knicks were the number one media market. So obviously, 
they're going to attract a good portion of games and other teams like that. Philadelphia and, you know, this, that team's the least interesting. So, and then you got Golden State in the later games. They're always going to get those big, the media games. So, 12 is, I think, it's very fair. I mean, compared to one last year. And I'm going to be interested to see what the big heads think about the Pacers when, when, when they're on ESPN and such. Well, what could they possibly do? Chris, this is really a question for you. I know you're the guy that pops the questions. What do you think they could do to get up there in that 15 to 20 range this year? Is, is it possible for the Pacers to get there? Well, 15, 20, 15 isn't really that big of a bump. I don't think they really have to do much. I was surprised that they got 12. I thought it was going to be under 10, honestly. So to get 12, I think that was – I mean, you never see that happen. Then I think I saw that the freaking Lakers had like 30. Uh, actually – 30 plus. But a lot – they had like – it showed 40, but a lot of those were NBA TV. So, so I don't count NBA TV. Yeah, 24-7 sports, very reputable website. And like Chris said, this is not just like – I mean, they also have the NBA TV in here, but Lakers at 43. Which is absolutely – so I think after that it's like 30 or something. So there's no way the Pacers will ever get to that amount unless, like, LeBron comes to Indiana. I think 12 – between 12 and 20 is likely. If you want to get up to that 20 range, I think they have to at least go uh, to the finals. Because even when they had those teams that went to the Eastern Conference Finals, they still barely got any – a national TV game. So I think if you want to get 20-plus for a team in Indiana, you have to go to the finals. Yep, I think that's fair. I mean, they gave us a bump for sure, so I have no gripe with it this year. And a lot of those games, too, on uh, on national TV are on the road. So you have, I think, they actually, every game they play against the 76ers as well is on national TV. So they play four games against the Sixers, three or four, whatever it is, and all of them are on national TV, which is crazy. Kind of a fun question. Who do you think has the least amount in the NBA? Just one guess. Kings? Uh, no, actually, Kings have 12. I knew Whoa. there was one with one, but I fr- the Kings don't. Well, you're That's including so They don't NBA technically TV. have 12 if you're not going to count NBA TV, but even if you don't I'll go count- Hornets or Hawks. No, actually, the Hornets and Hawks are actually more towards the middle. Is it the Pistons? Orlando Magic. Oh, only that, makes, four, that makes sense. And that includes NBA TV. Yeah, and then the Bulls only have five, which is kind of crazy to think about, really. Yeah, I'm good on watching Magic games for the most part. Uh, several road trips as well for the upcoming year. Uh, some notable road trips. They have one at the end of November. Then they have actually a couple in January, So, uh, and then one more in March. So those are their long stretches of road trips. Uh, what do you guys do when, you know, when there is a road trip and, you know, you're used to those 7, 8 o'clock game starts and then you see you got a whole week, week and a half of these 9.30, 10.30 games. How do you guys treat those games? Do you stay up late and watch those or do you just kind of like, I'm going to see what the score is in the morning because I work tomorrow like, you know, most people do on the East Coast. I'm kind of a night owl, so I'll, I'll definitely watch the late. I watch the late games when the Pacers aren't on usually. I, I maybe go to bed at halftime, but. Honestly, the late game is, is right up my alley for being a night owl that I am. It's kind of tougher for me being a teacher because i got to yeah. get up and be at school, you know, by 6.45, 7 o'clock. But I try to at least watch the first half and then maybe DVR the second half. And obviously I wake up and immediately I roll over and see if they won or lost. But I still think it's fun to at least watch part of it because those are you're watching them play in venues they're not used to, and I love it. So I would love to be able to stay up and watch it, but just can't, can't make that feasible. Yeah, and those West Coast teams you only see twice a year. So, like, being an NBA nerd like me, I like watching Donovan Mitchell. And, you know, I want to see what LeBron's doing every now and then. So, like, in the Golden State games are obviously exciting. So, it is swept a fan of the, Swept him last year. Yeah, sure did. Sure did. Sure so, did. So, <laughs> speaking of uh, the Lakers and the Pacers, Meta World Peace had a tweet recently. Yes, um, he did. That said that the Pacers will play the Knicks in the Eastern Conference Finals. Bold take from our good friend World Peace. What, what do you talk, guys think on talk that? Talk with Eddie about that a little bit as well in that interview we just did. I think he's 50% right. Kind of like, you know, Ron Artest. You know, you want, like kind of Eddie was mentioning, he's a guy you want on your side. He's got that crazy yeah, to him. Definitely. So that was 50% Ron Artest. You want on your side and 50% crazy Artest. You got both best of both worlds from him there. Pacers obviously have a chance at making the Eastern Conference Finals, but there is absolutely no way, freezing cold takes, put this on record now, that the New York Knicks will make it 
to the Eastern Conference Finals, let alone probably even the playoffs. What's his connect? I mean, he probably hates He played Boston. for the Knicks, and he's from New York. Okay. He barely played saying? for the Knicks, but he went to St. John's. He's a New York kid, so that is why he, like, he's, I, I'm assuming he grew up being a Knicks fan. If he does get it right, though, we're going to look at him like he's, he's, Oh, he's Nostra- in a, the new Nostradamus. Yeah, he's going to be Agnes, on Agnes Damas segment. Domus. He's going to take Agnes's segment on Agnes Damas. It's going to be Artest Damas or something, which he did switch his name back. I'm pretty sure. Big three breaking news right there. Oh, wow! We don't cover much big three anymore, do we? No, but the playoffs are coming up. Jake, what do you think about uh, Meta World Peace's tweet? Uh, I thought it was interesting. Uh, of course, I was happy because anything that he says is like, boom. Yeah. Um, but predicting. Pacers, Knicks, like, what is that? I mean, like, I would be ecstatic as a Pacer fan. It's like, hey, by the way, you get to walk into the NBA Finals. But, uh, yeah, I was kind of shocked to see that. And then when you think about the connections, like Chris said, the St. John's connection, and then the fact that I, you could make the argument that the best years of his career were in Indiana individually. Obviously, he won a championship with the Lakers. But, yeah. I, you know, I think our test – that does feel ties to Indiana. Fans treated him well. He was beloved here, so doesn't really shock me. Something he just completely pulled out of his butts, butt cheeks there. But whatever, I'm good. With I feel that. like he feel like feels like he owes that to us, considering what had happened. Oh, yeah. So he feels remorseful for it. So he's like, you know what? I enjoyed my time in Indiana. I will appeal to the fans and tell them. But you know what? Forget the Eastern Conference Finals. Who cares about that? I want the finals. Exactly. So. Absolutely. The next thing I have on my docket here from uh, stuff I just wrote down, Victor Oladipo has better odds to win the MVP next year than Paul. I saw Ford, that, yes. According to Bovada, um, Victor's 100 to 1 and Paul is 125 to 1. And this was reported by a guy in the Indy Star. I read his article. So, what do you guys think about that? Realistic? I mean, when he had that triple double in the playoffs, uh, it made me think that he could do that more often. And if I think he got more triple doubles and. So that's kind of the craze now. If he got more triple-doubles this year, I think he'd definitely get the attention. Here's my thought. First off, absolutely I am ecstatic that he beat out Paul George in something. That's always, you know, a good thing to, you know, gloat about. And, you know, we obviously love to see Paul George below him on that list. But I think MVP, especially in the NBA, it is just a completely meaningless award. Because... Pretty much what you have happen is guys like James Harden, who didn't win it when they thought they should have won it, they get the award next year, even though, you know, technically you could give LeBron the MVP award every single season. You definitely could. So you did that with Westbrook. He had a makeup season. Harden had his makeup season this year, which even if you look at the stats, and I know I'm kind of getting off topic here, even if you look at the stats, LeBron still had a better season last year than Harden. It wasn't even close statistically wise but Harden just like killed him in the MVP race what do you guys think can you guess the top five NBA odds favorites right now for the the MVP LeBron number one yep 10 to 3 I don't know in order but maybe I can give you the guys okay Durant Davis yeah Anthony Davis is in top five yeah Anthony Davis is second four to one Giannis he's third nine to two Steph Curry is in there he is not in the top five Uh, I think he comes in at eight Harden's got to be in there, I feel like. Harden's in there, eleven to two to repeat, and then Westbrook? Durant. You already said nine to one. Okay, where's Westbrook on that list? Westbrook is seventh, right ahead of Curry, fourteen to one. So I mean, that's interesting. Odd question: Where's Damian Lillard on that list? Ooh, I don't think he's on this list. Doesn't he get odds. He's got to have odds. It goes Russell, Steph, Joel, Kyrie, Simmons, and then Lillard, forty-five to one. After Kyrie's a pretty big drop from sixteen to one to Ben Simmons at thirty-five. How's Kyrie going to play if he's always hurt? That's a good question. That's a good question. Very right. good question. Okay. All right. I like it. Thank you. But I, I don't. I think if I had to guess, I'd say Anthony Davis will win MVP. But that's my very early prediction, and I think had he had had cousin. So obviously he's not going to have Demarcus to worry about this year because he's gone. You know, whatever. But if he plays like he did that last stretch of the season, it's a no-brainer. Anthony Davis wins MVP this year. That statistically, what he, the numbers he put up in that last month or two of the season, it was just, it was nuts. You had to pay up for him on Fanduel. Yeah, you had to. I, I com- complete. If if Anthony Davis stays healthy, I completely agree. I would, my odds would go to Anthony Davis. I just find it very hard to believe. 
I, either he or Kyrie Irving, neither one of those two ever stay healthy for an entire season. Chris, you know how terrible it is to roster Anthony Davis and he tweaks Goes to the locker room for a yeah, clip he, nail he, at yeah, halftime or something. Right, it's terrible. So, I don't know. I actually think Lillard has a chance to do some damage, and I just think it's it's, a, it's all It's all what it is. It's a popularity contest, and right. it's a makeup league. These journalists, they reward somebody based on them getting jilted the year before. I, I feel love like. the fire Chris has for this. It's all, he's completely LeBron, right. I am. The LeBron James effect, though. I think Russell deserved his, and I think Harden's last year was iffy, but, I mean, the way trends were going, I really had no Westbrook, I don't have any problems with it, really, but the guy played on a team that finished the sixth seed, yeah. lost yeah. in the first round, and, yes, he averaged a triple-double, and, yes, that team was a lot better, but I just – MVP, I don't know. I think it's I, stupid that the playoffs don't count. I mean, the playoffs should count. Yeah, MVP right yeah, that's why like, I think I continues. think it's very stupid that they vote on that. Bef- I think bef- right when the regular season ends, yeah. before the playoffs start. What you just said was completely right. I mean, he's a six seed. Westbrook was a six seed. Cherry's putting up the stats, but it's just like it was kind of like a ho hum thing. Anthony and you can't tell me have a really tough time making the playoffs in the West. Yeah, that West is, I mean. I mean, it, it, I completely agree with you. I think Anthony Davis has a huge, huge opportunity here to put up some big stats. But don't you think people will also say the same thing about Anthony Davis, that his team's not very good? And he's just going to put up those big stats? I think he's more beloved than Russ. Just yeah. Just because he's less of, like, I don't know, like an aggressor. He's more of just, like, a guy that just, literally you watch him and you realize, like, holy cow. Anthony Davis has the potential to be like the greatest of all time. So he's like he's not like a one-dimensional player. Yeah, I, I think unlike him and Ra- I think Anthony's loved more than Russ. If and Anthony Davis, so uh, yeah, I said you know six seed whatever. I know I just said that, but if Anthony Davis put up the stats he put up literally in that last part of the season, uh, even if his team doesn't make the playoffs, I still think he should get it because it's Fair nuts. Enough. Yeah, it is. I think Bavada agrees with you. Yeah, I agree. But then I also see the other side of the coin. The argument I literally just made against him was <laughs> your team was the sixth seed. So I see both sides of it. I just wish it would quit being a popularity contest because well, you if you break down the numbers, James Harden was not MVP last year. Let me ask you this then. Is Michael Jordan better than LeBron James? We're not <laughs> getting into that. Hey, no, last question I swear with this. We're getting Where's Skip Bayless on here. Jokic on this. Um, he is on this list. He's towards the middle to the bottom at hundred to one. So, so he's actually as same as Victor. How many? Just roughly, how many guys are ahead of Victor? Oh, you're gonna make me do counting. Uh, let's just say we'll call it a fifteen. It's fifteen to twenty somewhere in there. Are you guys happy with the fact that he's viewed as probably a top twenty player in the league? Is that satisfactory? I think, I think this, so, because a lot of people wouldn't even probably call him a top 50 player last season. Completely fair. It's an interesting point, because, I mean, this odds to win MVP directly, like, kind of goes, like, who's the best in the league at the moment. Like, there's a few guys you could switch around, but I think, yeah. I think If Victor Vegas comes out and he has another year like he does or improves, I think that no-brainer, top 15 at least next season, top 10, maybe he can get to that range, but he's got to come out, produce like he did last year. And even get better if he wants to, you know, he's obviously, he's worked his way up to get mentioned, you know, as a great, you know, maybe not a superstar, but a very great player in the league. But until he wants to get with those names like Westbrook and, you know, those guys like that, he's got to keep producing at the level he did last year. I, gearing, still sticking with that Pacers kind of mentality to this talk here, because I know we kind of got off track. That was completely unplanned, but I actually think it was pretty good content. But <laughs> what is... What is Miles Turner's role in all this? Let's say Turner figures it out. Does that that's got to hurt Oladipo, right? So it's almost like if Oladipo is higher in that MVP, maybe it's because the Pacers are winning. But at the same time, I kind of I will stop Turner you right there because here's the thing: the guy that's got to get it. Oladipo wants to get better. Obviously, anybody in the league wants to average 25, 30 points a game, but he's also the guy that will take a step back to if it means that his team's going to be better. So if Miles Turner getting more points or rebounds makes the Pacers win more games, he will take a step back and allow that to happen, and there won't be any grudges held. And I so, think any improvement Turner makes, Victor's making improvement too. I mean, he won MIP last year. He's just not—he's not done improving. Like he took that step another season. And if Turner wins the MIP, he should give it to Victor. Yeah. Because he installed this. You know, him doing this isn't because. 
He just decided to do it. He saw Victor doing this stuff. That's why he's doing it. Back to Jake. He's going to take, if he improves, he's going to take some points away. Maybe like what his rebound numbers might be lower as Victor, but I, I don't think that. Him I mean, and what are the odds of an Indiana? What are the odds of an Indiana Pacers? What are the odds of an Indiana Pacers player winning MVP? Like I said, popularity contest. I think the highest person that was the person that was ever the closest was Jermaine O'Neal. I think he finished like third. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. It was he the year was the KG last won guy it. That really had a shot at it. It was Jermaine O'Neal. I think he finished top three, and KG had won it. That was the year we won 61 games and went to a conference final. So that should tell you a little bit there that really it doesn't matter, especially when you're from Indiana. Yeah, I, I don't. I wouldn't say it doesn't matter, but I agree. As a Pacers player, you're almost never gonna get it. So it's honestly kind of worthless to talk about, but it is interesting. And now my blood's boiling because there's a article right next to it linked that says Jalen Ramsey says Andrew Luck isn't that good. We're not going to get into that now, but now I'm heated. I'm mad. So. We need to talk because Kevin Bowen was the one who pointed that out. We're going to have him on the show in a couple of weeks. We need to talk to him about that for sure because we are – I mean, obviously, we this is a Pacers podcast. We focus strictly on Pacers. But we'll be talking to Kevin about Pacers that episode, but we will also include some Colts and NFL preview because it's going to be a week before the NFL season. We're so, just guys that love sports. Yeah, so write that, that down. One day. Okay. Write that down. We have got to talk to him about that. If Jalen Ramsey really thought that, he should have just called him Andrew Schmuck. <laughs> I mean, what, he missed a huge opportunity there. Jalen Ramsey's had a lot of quotes lately. The media's eaten him up. He has one good season, and all of a sudden he's just – That's what happens to all only. the cornerbacks, man. Literally every time much. a cornerback in the NFL gets, you know – Josh Norman. Yeah, uh, Sherman. Rugby Yeah. They, I mean, they do it. They got to do it because they know in like five years they're just. And they have to do it too because like marketing opportunities will present themselves if yeah. they just show that they're an asshole, right? With these comments. And that was NFL talk today. Yep. Yeah. So uh, that's pretty much going to close up all we got for you guys today. Hope you enjoyed the interview with Eddie. We certainly did. Appreciate him coming on the show. Uh, we actually have some several other interviews scheduled here in the upcoming week so make sure you check those out let us know what you guys think and we also will be debuting the born ready to pod t-shirts here soon so if you want one of those make sure you let us know and we will make it happen so thanks for tuning in guys that will close out episode 12 of born ready to pod we will see you guys next week let's go